be with you. What if, that was the question we asked last week, what if we actually did the things that Christ spoke to us about in his word? What if we actually lived out the things that we read in the Bible? Last week, we talked about, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. You remember that scripture? We talked about the origins of that scripture. We've been talking about, for two, two weeks now in a row, about transforming our world, and it starts with our street. What if? Have you been praying, church? I challenged you last week to pray. I would ask, and over and over again, ask you to continue to pray. Pray for your community. Pray for your household. Pray for my household. Pray for our church. I believe that God has a vision for this place, for this community of believers. I'm excited to see what God is going to do. Blessings on you. We've come to the end of Pastor Chad's sabbatical. This is my last time in the pulpit for a while. As I've been thinking about those things, I've, I honestly ask myself, okay, if you, could, if you could impart one thing, encourage one thing, what would it be? I think I've been encouraging you all along. I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. I believe in Him. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and that three days later he rose again, physically and spiritually. I really believe that. And I believe because of that, I can be saved if I choose him. Hallelujah. That's the message. We can all go home. But then I thought this. And some of you are like, amen, hallelujah. (laughs) Wow. That's good. I like that. But I thought this too. Okay. Each of us live by a philosophy, right? I mean, each of us, um, especially if you're in Christ, we all look at the Scripture maybe just a little bit differently. And I believe God has put in you what He wants to use through you. You've heard me say that over and over again. I wanted to maybe talk to you just for a little while about what gets me excited, about the thing that burns in my soul. If you haven't caught it before, I want to talk to you about the origins of why Mike is the way he is. I believe each one of us have building blocks in the foundation of faith. That there were people that came along on your journey and put stones of foundation in the, of the Word in you. That Christ Himself blessed somebody to bless you. You know what? There's somebody in my life who, who actually helped me form an idea, a philosophy, a thought pattern of how I, want, I choose to live. And they weren't even a Christian. Can God use pagans to bless Christians? That's an interesting thought and not one I want to go into today, but I'll tell you this. God used somebody and helped me understand how to see things a little bit differently. I'll never forget it. I was 18 years old. I lived next to the Johnson family my whole life. I was friends with Jacob Johnson. He was my best friend. We would wrestle and get into trouble and climb trees together. Well, Jacob had what I didn't have. He had an older brother. The older brother's name was J.P. And J.P. was special. You could just see it. He was older than us, and he graduated and moved on from life. And it wasn't long after that he did do that that I saw something in him that I wanted for me. He was special. 
he was successful in everything he did. Everything. It was like the Midas touch, right? He touched it, it would turn to gold. So one day I did what I have since been in the habit of doing. I'm a student of leadership, hope one day to be a good leader. So I like to follow leaders and see what they do and do what they do in hopes that one day God will bless me in that way as well. So I did what I do a lot. I, if I see somebody who I think is a good leader, I ask them to go out to lunch and I pay for it. Right? Sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't happen. So I asked JP, will you go to lunch with me? And I'll never forget it. It took me to a very classy place. We met at the bowling alley. I sat before JP. I said, Jay, what is it about you? I mean, there was some dialogue. Talked about our childhood a little bit, I'm sure. But I got down to the dirt. I wanted to know, what makes you successful? Everything you touch is successful. In martial arts, you're a master. Nobody messed with JP. In business, you didn't go to college. Your parents weren't wealthy, but you're a very successful businessman. What is it? You're even lucky with the girls. Give me some help there. What is it with you? What makes you tick? I'll never forget, he was eating his salad with blue cheese, yuck. He looked me straight in the eye and he leaned forward and he said, Mike, it takes just as much energy to dream small as it does to dream big. So why not dream big? I don't remember anything else about the conversation. I just know this. That God used some guy who didn't even believe in him to challenge me. And I'll be honest with you, which is good for a pastor. That's how I see life. That's how I see life. Now, I was a Christian. I met Jesus early in life. Thank the Lord. And so I take everything that anyone says to me and I compare it with this because this is what I live my life by. So if somebody comes to me with a truth, then I compare it to the truth. And if it doesn't stand here, then I don't want anything to do with it. And so what I did was is I took this truth from JP and I took it home and I started to think about it. It started to sink in, settle into my being. I started to wrestle with it a little bit. And then I started to study the Word of God. Could this possibly be a word from somebody who doesn't even believe in Jesus? May or may not believe in Jesus. I'll give him that. I don't know. As I started to read through the Scripture, what I found was is that what JP was saying lined up a lot with what it was saying in here. That sometimes God dreams big dreams for us that are far bigger than we could ever possibly imagine. And if, if we open ourselves up to it through prayer, through the reading of the Word, through listening, God has a habit of just kind of laying it out for us. It takes just as much energy to dream small as it does to dream big. And there have been times in my life, this week including, as I've listened and God laid before me this plan that is so big, this dream that is so immense, 
that I honestly feel very, very small and inadequate. And I said it out loud this week. Lord, why me? Why, why, do, you, why do you give me this stuff? You ever feel that way? The wondrous thing about God is, is that he chooses people to carry and live out his dreams, the same people who are willing to listen, the same people that are willing to pray and to know God and settle in and just kind of be with God. And if you're open to it, God will reveal to you unbelievably big dreams. Today I want to go back into the book of Acts. We were there a few short weeks ago. You can turn in your scriptures to Acts chapter 9. I'll remind you, we talked about Saul of Tarsus who loved his job. And his job was this, to track down Christians and put them in jail or kill them. And he was really good at it. You remember when we talked about Saul of Tarsus holding the coats of those who were throwing stones at Stephen. They killed Stephen. That's Saul. That is the guy that we're going to talk about a little bit about today. But that's only part of the story. Paul goes into Damascus, or he's on his way to Damascus, and literally has a life-changing account with Jesus Christ. Jesus, who has already ascended into heaven, makes a little appearance here on earth in front of Saul and says this, Why are you persecuting my people? And it came in such a big way that he fell off the horse and he was blinded. And then Jesus just says this, You go on into Damascus, I'm going to send you to somebody and he's going to help you out. But this wasn't a nice little, Oh, I love Jesus all day long. And he hugs me. We're just going to hang out. This was like, get it together. So we pick up the story from there. We're going to see how God can use someone who is willing, just willing, to dream big dreams. It's how I want to live. I'd ask you to please stand in the honor of reading God's Word this morning. And we're going to begin with verse 10. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias? Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. 
Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. God will dream big, humongous, impossibly large dreams for you if you let him. Can you see it here? Can you see the dream that God is dreaming for Ananias? We read this scripture. You've probably read it a hundred times. You've probably studied it. 50 times, you've probably looked over it and read over it and read over it. Year after year, you've looked at this, and it just becomes words, if you're like me. And we read the story, and we, we look at it, and we, we, we always center around Paul, how Paul was the one that got blinded, how Paul was the one that got healed. Paul, Paul, Paul. That's actually Saul. Saul then becomes Paul. I'm sorry. Let me try that again. Saul is the one that gets blinded. Saul is the one that falls off his horse. Saul is the one that gets hurt. We know later in Scripture that Saul changes his name, Saul of Tarsus, to Paul because he's new, he's fresh, he's been redeemed. And I love the story because if God can redeem Paul, he can redeem any of us, right? But we tend to look at that, or at least I do, we tend to look at that and think, well, that's, that's where the blessing is. And yet, when we take a closer look and we start looking at this from, from a Jesus point of view, when we look at this from an idea that God dreams, dreams for us. You see it come off the page. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Yes, Lord, he answered. Who is this Ananias character? What do we know about him? Well, we don't know very much. But the scripture is very telling if we look. You've heard the the name Ananias before. In some chapters before, Ananias and Sapphira sell a piece of land and they give it to the church. And the church says, or Peter says, is this all that there is? And he's like, yep. And he falls down dead because he's a liar. And God struck him dead. Is this the same Ananias? No. And the way you can tell is that the first Ananias is dead. <laughs> right? And dead people don't lay their hands on anyone to heal them. Not that I've ever heard of. So who is this Ananias? Well, here's what we do know about him. One is that he's a disciple of Jesus Christ. If you've been hanging out here this summer, we've been talking about discipleship a lot. What is a disciple? A disciple is somebody that isn't just merely a believer in Jesus, but who has been transformed by the power of Christ. That their life now is in control by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. They've received the Holy Spirit. They're living out. The plan that Jesus has for them. The scripture is very clear. Ananias is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Secondly, we know this. He can recognize the voice of God. He recognizes Jesus' voice. Can you imagine knowing Jesus so well, being in his presence so much, praying in the Spirit so much, that when God speaks, or when Jesus speaks, you know it's Him. 
And people may think you're crazy. You all cray-cray. You think that's God. You're hearing voices. But you know. You know the difference. Because you know God. Ananias had spent, now I'm assuming this, because it doesn't come right out and say, so this is a thus saith the mic, not a thus saith the Lord. But Ananias had spent so much time with Jesus that he recognized him when he came to him in a vision, in a dream. Ananias is the real deal. And we know this, that he knows him so well that Jesus comes to him and gives him a great task. He dreams for him a great dream. Well, it may not seem like it to us. We read this stuff and we blow right through it. We don't even probably even, we skip over this part of the story, but I will tell you this, this is fantastically good. The Lord said to him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And what he basically was saying was, That's you. And I love this. Because as Jesus and Ananias are having this dialogue, they're communing in prayer. Ananias knows who's talking to him. He knows it because he said, yes, Lord. So he knows this is Jesus. They're having a dialogue. They're communing in prayer, in a vision. I don't figure it out. That's what the scripture says. And as Jesus lays down the dream, here it is. Boy, Annie, he's like, uh, what? <laughs> That's not what I signed up for. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. God reveals to him the dream. Here, you've been waiting for it. You've been waiting for it. You've been waiting for it. And here it is. And this is the reply. Lord, hmm, I've heard uh, many reports about this man. And, uh, yeah, just because you may not know this, you've been in heaven for you know, a little while now. This Saul of Tarsus is a snake. He's killing your people. He's locking them up. He's here to kill and lock them up. So now you've been educated, Jesus. Isn't that interesting? This isn't just a random stranger on the street running into Jesus. This is a guy who knows the voice, knows Jesus. I mean, knows who he is. He's the Lord. He's the one in charge. And yet he's still... Jesus goes, here you go. Here's the plan. Here's the dream. I'm dreaming big dreams for you. And Ananias says, hmm, oops, you got that one wrong. That's a little scary. How many times do we do that? How many, I'm, are you like me? I've heard this. I've heard that people actually say this, that sometimes when I pray, I feel like the prayers don't get above the ceiling, that God's not listening, that God's not, he's not, he doesn't know what's going on down here. I think sometimes we believe that lie, because it's a lie, because last week we found out that God's sitting on the edge of the seat, and he's listening, right? I think we believe that lie enough that we think that God doesn't really, that we're not, God's, when he finally does give us an instruction, it's kind of like, oh, poor dumb God, he doesn't really get it. Ouch, right? And I love Jesus' reply. Go ye. Go. 
It's the same word that Jesus used for his disciples when he was telling them to go into all the, the world and evangelize. Get after it. Pareo. Just do it. You, you know me. I know you. You know I'm not going to give you something bad to do. Just trust me. This is what needs to happen. Because this Saul of Tarsus, I'm going I'm to show the world what I can do through him. You don't even know. I know what he's done. I know better than anyone what he's done. I'm going to transform the way people see Christianity forever through this man. Now, what I, what I want for you is you just be faithful and do what I tell you to do. Remember what I said a few weeks ago? My kids say, why, Dad? Because I said so. Sometimes that's not the best. This is this is a this is a because I said so and I'll tell you why. Do you understand what I'm going to do with you, Ananias? Do you realize the you don't realize the part that you play in this? You have no idea. Go, and I get it. I mean, I, I honestly get it. Ananias is waiting for the dream, man. I mean, he's waiting for the vision. God, what do you have for me for today? You want me to go and pray for a Christian killer? Are you kidding me? We just Got him out of here. I mean, he's blind. He's, he's out of service. He's, he's done. We don't know what God's going to do sometimes. And sometimes these dreams are so big, so complex, and they're so God-ish. They're so God-big. There is no way we can do this. And God goes, that's right. Now you get the point but I'm going to do something through you. And we see Ananias do what I hope each one of us will do through the power of the Spirit of God. Goes there. He enters that house. And he walks up to a man that he probably hated. And he places his hands on him. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is healed. And the Holy Spirit enters Saul. And thus starts the ministry of a man who is literally going to rock the world. Saul of Tarsus becomes Paul. And he goes on and he writes half of our, or more than our New Testament. He starts the church in areas that you couldn't even fathom. You want to talk about missionary service. He was the missionary. And God uses just this average, everyday sort of guy, probably content in his little apartment in Damascus, faithfully following Jesus, loving the Lord, and living in communion with Him, going to church on time every week, doing his Bible study, memorizing Scripture. And because he opened up himself to dream big dreams, God goes, here you go. Are you ready for it? And here's the big dream. Ananias is a footnote, a footnote in the kingdom of God. Barely, he barely makes it into the scripture. But he did. An average everyday human being. He said, okay, God, I'm open for whatever. Dream big dreams for me. God is able to do immeasurably more than you could do or I could do. Do you believe that? Have you seen it? I want to see it. I want to see it in my life. 
This is why I'm alive. This is why I do what I do. This is why when I was 18 years old and I'm sitting in front of a guy who I didn't realize it would be a multimillionaire at some point in his life, successful in everything he does, God used this guy who he had no right to use to teach me about how to dream dreams, to teach me to how to think about vision. God is just, I have attention deficit disorder and I don't see that as a disability. I see that as a gift. God is constantly giving me ideas. I mean, just kind of just pouring this, I don't know, do this. I don't know, do this. I don't know, do this. And I love it. And so, like, anytime I'll come up to anyone I've been under in ministry, hey, what do you think about this idea? Well, I don't really like it. Okay, great, because i got a hundred more right behind it. Because I'm not going to stop. I'm going to dream big dreams, and that's what I want for us, church. You know, I know there's people here, probably Christians, a long, long, long time. And I used to hear this from the saints, God bless them. I was saved, I was sanctified, and now I'm done. And what they were saying was, I was saved, sanctified, and petrified. And that is not what God has for us. That is not what God has for you. I do believe in the power of sanctification. I believe in it, but I believe that it's every day for me, folks. I get to wake up every morning and decide whether or not I'm going to choose to follow Jesus Christ. And it's hard. It's hard sometimes. There have been times the thought crossed my mind, well, I might just forsake everything and just do what's easy. I don't want to do what's easy. I don't want to do what's easy. I want to do what's right. Following this Jesus Christ is what's right. I don't want cruise control Christianity. I want to be alive in Christ and I want to see a move of the Spirit unlike anything I've ever seen before. Every section of the United States has had a great revival except the northwest part of the United States. You go back and you look. Every portion of the United States had a great awakening, a great movement of God, where the people just came alive. And God did a powerful, powerful work. Church of the Nazarene comes out of one of those movements, the American Holiness Movement, which all, every revival started with youth, just so you know. Young people saying, I'm, I'm going to change the world. And they did. Except the northwest part of the United States. Some people believe that this part of the United States, although there's believers, obviously, there's never been a great awakening. There's never been a great movement in this part of the United States of America. Some people say that there won't be. Some people say that it's just too dead. They actually have a term for it. I can't even remember, like the mom or something. Like this, you know what? God put me here for such a time as this, right? God's put you here for such a time as this. That's why I believe in this. This let's pray for our streets. Let's let's pray. I ain't praying for concrete. I'm not praying for traffic signs. I'm not praying for motor vehicles. I'm praying for people. People that they would know Christ and know Him in His fullness. That is our call. That is our dream. You want to dream big dreams? Are you with me? You've got to be open to it. You've got to pray for it. And sometimes God gives you dreams that are just crazy. The people, you may lose friends over this. You may lose family over this. I'll never forget when I got the call to go to Tennessee. I was 25 years old. And I had two babies at home. I'm going to move 3,500 miles away from everyone 
that I know. Why? Call the dream. Dream the dream. And Ananias, although he's just this little footnote in Christianity, he healed a guy that went on to to literally change the way that we see Christianity. And I'm thankful for him. I want to dream big dreams. Do you? Jim Cimbala wanted to dream dreams. I've been talking about him a lot. I think it's just because just his story just rocks me. He wrote this little book. He's wrote a bunch of other books because he made a lot of money on this one. I thought, hey, Robert, nah, I don't know. I don't know why I did it. Probably because he had a lot to say. In 1971, Jim Cimbala was called by God to pastor a few little churches in Brooklyn, New York. Never pastored before, was a, was a coach, was a sports guy. But his father-in-law talked him into it. Take on some churches. Two of them died almost right away. It was a horrible experience for him. Him and his wife loved the Lord. And they knew that, you know, if, okay, if they're called, they're open to it. That's all they did is they just opened themselves up to dream big dreams. So in 1971, he's pastoring this little church of like 21 people. And just ridiculous things were happening. Satan was just attacking it. There was ridiculous things that happened this morning. That just the, Satan's just nasty. He just comes at you. And what he decided was is that he himself wasn't any good. That he had nothing to offer this world. So what him and Carol did was is they turned themselves over to Christ and they decided to pray. And their church decided to pray. 21 people started to pray. Could that matter? Would it make a difference? Absolutely it did. And it changed the world in Brooklyn. He's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle, which today holds 16,000 members in its membership, not including its congregants. They are seeing prostitutes pulled out of the street changed, drug addicts completely changed for Jesus Christ just because they opened themselves up to it. I don't hold this up and say, oh, we need to be just like Jim. And he's the, I'm just saying that that's just what God can do through the lives of one person. His wife, Carol, is the choir director for the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. And she never even knew how to, she doesn't even know how to read music. I mean, maybe now that she learned, maybe he went back to Bible college, perhaps. But can you believe that? This is God saying, oh, you're willing? (laughs) Are you really? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Right? Hallelujah. There's a verse in 2 Corinthians 6 that just convicts me and puts a fire in my belly all at the same time. And it says this. This is the message. I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide, open, spacious life. We didn't fence you in. The smallness you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. I want to live wide open, full throttle. I got, I don't know. I mean, if I live as long as the regular Holines men live, I'm, I'm well over the hill. I want to burn out on this. This is the message. My prayer is that we would continue to be a light in a dark place. And it is dark. So 
I was uh, praying for my street, which is what I was supposed to be doing, right? I haven't signed up officially, sorry, but I am going to. And I, I, w- I would ask you as a personal favor that you do it as well. And I'm driving down the street, and I'm praying in the Spirit, I believe. And I live on Lakeshore Drive. I have really no business to live there because uh, my economics don't really uh, make it so that I could live there. But God just blesses me, and we're able to live there. Hallelujah. And I'm driving by the lake, and all these houses that are just unbelievably wealthy. I mean, you have to, you know, be the governor to live there. I don't know. I mean, just wealthy. And I started to pray. For my street, I said, Lord, I, my prayer is is that in, in these people's wealth that they don't be, that their wealth doesn't, how do I say this? I, I prayed it really good for Jesus. That their wealth doesn't overshadow their need for Jesus Christ. And as I prayed, I said, Lord, and I pray that these people who have wealth and Jesus spoke. I knew it was his voice because when you spend time with the Lord, you recognize him. He says, and pretend well. Uh, okay. I heard that before. but and What I think God was saying was, Mike, um, each of us are where we are. We all are trying to look a certain way. Some of us are wealthy, some of us are poor. But we all want to be liked. We all want to be successful. We all want to be seen in a certain light. And what I think as we pray in the Spirit, like the book of Jude talks about, is we want to pray the things that God wants us to pray. And I think what he was saying was he was just directing me to say this. Let not anything in our lives overshadow our need for Jesus Christ. I thank God that he still speaks and he will open yourselves up. This morning I want to close this like we've been closing a lot, but just a little bit different. I'm going to open the altars. I'm going to ask Kevin to play something. And the, I really felt like the Lord was telling me this, which is kind of just a strange thing because I haven't had a whole lot of experience in doing this. But I want to offer um, to you um, that I will anoint you with oil if you'd like. <clears throat> the scripture, for centuries we've been talking about anointing with oil. And so as I learned, uh, this isn't magical stuff. This isn't, when, when, when you're anointed with oil, this isn't saying, oh, you know, somehow this is, has magical properties. It doesn't. The church has said for, for generations that oil is a representation of the Spirit of God. When you get oil on you when you're cooking or when you're changing oil maybe in the lawnmower and you get some on you, you're like, oh, man, why? Because once you get oil on you, you can't get it off. And that's the point. Once the Holy Spirit comes on you, you can't get him off. So look at my hand. It's got oil on it. Scott played a prank on our drummer, and he moved his his drum chair today. So I found it, and I picked it up, and I got oil on my hand, and I thought, oh, man, that's appropriate. Because that's exactly what I need. And so if you want to this morning come and you kneel at the altar. I'll kneel with you. I'll pray with you. It could be for whatever you want. And I'd like to anoint you with oil. And ask God to give you dreams, to give you vision. If you want to just come and pray, you're welcome to come and and pray. And if you don't want me to anoint you, that's fine. But if you do, it's here. 
Father God. And I thank you for, for people that have poured into my life, and they may not even have known it, like JP, when he told me about having the audacity to dream big dreams. Oh God, you are able to do immeasurably more than anything we could do. And even looking at some of, sometimes you, you tell me stuff that's impossible. What on earth are you thinking when you thought of me? But just like Ananias, you choose people who are willing. And so this morning we're willing, God, to give us a dream. My prayer is, is that if there's anyone here that doesn't know and live in the power of the Holy Spirit, doesn't know what it's like to be set free from sin, that they would call on the name of Jesus. And be saved. It's really easy. Just got to believe Jesus is who he says he is. Savior of the world. In fact, if you want to pray that prayer with me right now, I'd encourage you to do so. Lord God, I love you so much. I accept I'm a sinner. Please save me. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. He died on the cross for my sins. And he rose from the dead. Best to you, my Savior. Help me in the days to come to live for you and to live my life wide open. If you want to be anointed this morning, please come.
sing like God is here in your life. The power of the Spirit.